How's it going, folks? Today is Tuesday, August 15th, and I'm Josh Boykin, founder of Intelligame.us. Welcome to another edition of Intelligame Radio. Today's Tuesday, which means we're only a few days removed from the tragedy that occurred in Charlottesville, South Carolina. Heather Heyer, a counter-protester at the white supremacy rally who was murdered by a white supremacist run over with a car, has not yet been buried. And though I don't intend to devote today's entire episode to discussions of that situation, I do feel that it's still something we should be talking about. I don't know for how long these these kinds of explicit discussions will show up. Partly because I, I feel like we need to have at least some discussion about false equivalency. There's this idea that I keep seeing people talk about particularly this idea of comparing Nazis to Black Lives Matter. And I can't understand it. Nazi rhetoric calls for elimination of multiple peoples. Calls for the superiority of a particular race of people. Whereas Black Lives Matter, I mean, like, everything is, is right there in the slogan in in the name of the organization that black lives matter it's not black lives matter more than all the other lives which would be far less catchy and harder to put on a t-shirt but somehow in the course of our rhetoric there are people who seem to say that these two positions are equal well they both do violent things well they both are and I'm, I'm, it's hard for me to see where the, um, the decades of racial discrimination and murder um, come from on the part of Black Lives Matter. I'm not really sure where, where this comes from, and I, I think that some of it is the echo chamber is not the right word. The, the discussion vortex that we all exist in, particularly here in America. Uh, one of the IntelliGame moderators actually lives in Canada. And hearing him talk about the discussion in Canada, the difference in rhetoric, the idea that a right-wing conservative CEO stepped down from his media company because he, he said, this, this has gone too far. This is... Uh, this does not make sense, and I, I don't sign on to this, and I'm departing this company. Can you imagine the CEO of Fox News saying, you know what, maybe maybe, maybe this has gone too far. Maybe, maybe we took this in a direction I didn't anticipate. I keep trying to remember that in the midst of the attempts to deal with this conflict and 
trying to find ways to counter the hatred that is coming from this rise of what of white supremacists and the the movements that they are taking and the tactics they are implementing that there is a normal that reaches beyond where we currently stand there's still people out there who care about justice and humanity and dignity that the majority of folks are people who want to respect other people, to live in harmony, to live in peace, to give other people the chance to live out their own dreams, to be themselves, to be accepted and respected for those decisions. I don't know what that means for us here in America. Um, my hope is that we'll still be given the opportunity to find ways to convince each other about our dreams and our futures without resorting to violence. Uh, and luckily, I mean, even in video games, we can see a number of shifts and a number of opportunities where people have created experiences that don't revolve around using a gun or a sword to solve problems. I just hope that we can learn from those experiences and find ways to solve problems before it comes to something tragic in reality. Many folks are passionate about games, and as the industry continues to grow, and as jobs continue to be created, as the sector expands, the question is, how do you get started? How do you find your way in? Yes, you can go and get a bachelor's degree or a master's in some sort of game development, but what if that's not what you want to do? Whether it's the prohibitive cost of going to school, or perhaps just that you're not interested in being a developer. Well, turns out there are tons of ways to get involved in the game industry that don't specifically involve uh, programming. Whether you're working in marketing, or PR, or production as sort of project management, there are tons of ways to get started. I was just having a conversation with a friend of a friend of mine about this, and I thought it would be a useful group of information to share with Intelligame Radio listeners. I've been working adjacent to the game industry since 2009, so I've had plenty of conversations with people who have worked in the space and have at least a couple of tips that I think can help you get started. First off, I would say look in your area, if you are lucky enough to live near them, for game conventions. Attending these events in person is a really great way to connect to some of the people who could be doing exactly the job you want to do. Meeting de uh, independent developers, people who work for AAA studios, people who are doing marketing or who are coordinating events or any number of things. These people show up at conventions and it's a great opportunity for you to go and meet them and say hello and to ask questions. Though you might feel a little starstruck, you have to remember that they're people just like you and me and they're interested generally in finding other good people to work with. So if you show up and you're relatively friendly and you don't smell terrible or something like, more often than not, people are willing to give you information and try to help you get started. If you're gonna show up to a convention and you are trying to figure out even the very long inroad to getting a job, I'd recommend come prepared. 
People may not ask you for a portfolio, but you can be a lot more confident if you're already carrying a flash drive or some images on your phone of the kind of work that you've put together. If you have worked on developing an independent game or you've coordinated with folks to put a game together, have a demo video of your game. Have a concept of what questions you want to ask when you find the people that you're interested in working with. At the same time as people want to be helpful, they also want to have their time respected. So be conscious of that. In addition, I would recommend, even if you're not interested in getting directly into being a programmer, learn some sort of technical skill. Whether it is learning how to develop a game in Game Maker or Unity or RPG Maker. Maybe it's doing some sort of graphic design if you've got natural art, art skills or talents. Finding ways to offer a technical expertise, particularly in the indie scene, is going to set you way ahead of people who just say, well, I've got this good idea and I can manage some folks. Well, every, most people are good at telling other people what to do. But if you can come in and say, not only do I have this plan and a way to make sure we execute this plan, but I can also do the art or make the music or something, that's going to get people excited to work with you. Overall, there are a lot of ways to be able to get started in the game industry. And if you have questions or would be looking for tips or things like that that I haven't covered, go ahead and hit that call in button right here on Anchor. I would love to be able to answer any questions that I can, and uh, I would like to be a resource to the IntelliGame Radio community. Speaking of Collins, we've actually got a few to take on today. So why don't we start with one from Eric. Hey Josh, this is Eric, and you were just talking about how you've been playing Tetris and how it's suddenly become a a way that you've been distracting yourself or escaping from what's going on in the world right now. And it got me thinking about No Man's Sky, which is something I've been playing a lot lately. I, uh, I, I liked the game even from release, despite knowing it had a lot of problems, but I've been playing it a lot again because it had uh, all those new updates and a bunch of great changes, but it has also been really good for me to organize my thoughts. It hasn't been distracting enough that it's taking me out of what's happening in the world. It's been just distracting enough that it kind of helps me clear the noise and focus and organize my thoughts. Um, at least I hope. <laughs> it feels that way anyway. Um, love the show. Later. Eric, thanks for calling in, and thanks for bringing up No Man's Sky. Truthfully, I've never played it. When it first came out, it got kind of panned in some of the reviews, and though I was kind of compelled by this open-world sci-fi experience, I'm really bad at open-world games and being able to rope myself in enough to actually feel like I'm making forward progress. So I ended up passing on it, but it seems like every time they do an update, I hear more good things about it, and more people returning to the game. It's funny that you bring up No Man's Sky, because another caller actually also called in and talked about No Man's Sky as well. Uh, so let's hear from Aaron real fast, and then we'll talk a little bit. Hello, Intel 
Radio. Um, right now, I am back into No Man's Sky. I don't know if you've ever played it or anything, but they just had a big update, 1.3, and the game is a lot closer to what it was envisioned. Still not there, of course, but um, I've enjoyed my time with the game. It now has more has more story, 30 hours um, of story. Still has bugs, but it's kind of a relaxing game. And I can listen to podcasts or anchor and play the game, read the story, and enjoy it. Okay, take care. Aaron, definitely appreciate you calling in. Did you and Eric coordinate a bit? <laughs> Was that what happened? I think it's interesting that you both bring up the idea of being able to play No Man's Sky as sort of a thought-clearing exercise. In the same way that Aaron brought up that this is typically how I would approach Tetris. as an opportunity to kind of clear my head. Now that I've played Tetris on a higher difficulty, it is occupying more of my brain and creating more stressful situations, but the ways that you're describing No Man's Sky remind me of playing Yonder, the Cloudcatcher Chronicles. Sort of open world, peaceful experience that gives me an opportunity to sort of de-stress. Now, Yonder's got some UI issues, uh, some user interface issues that make it difficult to tell exactly where you need to go to clear a quest. So, um, it's been a little more difficult for me to make progress there than I would have hoped. But it does seem like No Man's Sky may be the kind of game that I want to turn to for a bit. I think that games that give us just enough gameplay are rare. Games that give us an opportunity to interact in a system, to learn a story, or whatnot, without getting very deep into systems and mechanics. There's a peace that comes with being just engaged enough. Almost like meditation, where you're observing your body breathing. You're a, being part of an experience, but not actively forcing it. I kind of wonder if there are more meditation-like games out there, now that we've had this discussion. But either way, I appreciate that both of you brought up No Man's Sky. This might actually be a title uh, that we end up seeing on Let's Teleplay sometime soon, and if that happens, I'll be sure to give the heads up. Thanks for the call, and uh, enjoy No Man's Sky. Our next call-in is from Sean over at The Way We Play, and he is recounting some of his first quote-unquote sexual encounters or experience with sexualization in video games. I can remember two examples of uh, my earliest memories of video games being kind of sexualized or like me, me noticing that. Uh, it must have been a combination of that time of maturity for me as well as like just the the way that video games are being advertised at that time. They both revolve around gaming magazines. And uh, the first one was, I believe it was Gex 2, and it was in one of those magazines. It was actually the cover of the magazine. Um, it was making fun of a um, James Bond cover. And it had Gex 
uh, it was black and white, and it had Gex covering um, a naked woman's breasts with his hands. And that was on the cover of a magazine for, I don't know, like a 12-year-old probably, that my parents had to get for me. So that was great. The next example was also from a magazine. It was um, when Parasite Eve 2 was about to come out. Um, a lot of the official artwork from Squaresoft was um, of the main character, Aya, in very like sexualized or provocative like like poses or something. Um, the well, the game also like the intro featured like a shower scene that of course didn't show anything but was very suggestive. Um, and then a lot of the artwork had her. Um, there was one with like her wearing a jacket but no shirt or bra. Um, so you just you know you saw the cleavage and everything. And then there were other ones where she was like like naked but like covered in blood. It was very weird and very sexualized and had nothing to do with the game. Um, but I guess that's just like Japanese advertising for you, really. So. Hey Sean, thanks for those call-ins, and thanks for the work that you're doing over at The Way We Play. It's interesting thinking back on that whole era, right? Early Tomb Raider, Gex, Duke Nukem, this time where you have this abject, outright sexualization that was made to be a direct appeal to the male gaze, to the 18 to 24 year old male demographic that Apparently, marketers thought we're the only people that play video games. And thinking about today, there's still sexualization in video games and, and usages of women to appeal to the male gaze, but there are far more strong female characters who exist as, as value, valued characters, not just for the eye candy, but because they are skilled and strong and resilient and we even look at the way that Lara Croft has been rebooted to this gritty resilient action hero you know there's a lot of power there and I think it shows that though there's still plenty of room for us to grow and improve that the industry has made some positive strides uh, also it's cool that you bring up Parasite Eve 2 the original Parasite Eve was one of my favorite games on the PS1, and I can remember these concepts of having, like, the strange pixelated PlayStation 1 shower scene that has, realistically, not a whole lot to do, not really anything to do with the game. There's just these establishing shots that show you, oh, Aya is a vulnerable woman who's attractive, and here comes this, I, I don't know. Of course, you know, there'll still be these sort of, what do they call them, cheesecake shots that go through media. Uh, I, and that's just part of sexualized people wanting to see sexualized content. But I'm glad that you bring those up as sort of a, a retrospective of how things were. We can compare them to how things are and hopefully use them as an opportunity to grow. But in the meantime, uh, I hope folks can look back on their gaming pasts fondly. If you have some interesting gaming stories from your past that you'd like to share, of course you know how to do it. Hit that call-in button right here on Anchor. Uh, or you can also use that discussion button and you've got 140 characters that you can leave to, uh, to chat with 
other Anchor FM listeners. Game of the Day 28 actually wasn't Tetris. Like, I moved on. I specifically sat down and said for 45 minutes, you're going to play a game that's not Tetris. And I played Apotheon, which is a Metroidvania where you take on the role of, I believe his name is Nicolandros. He's a defender of the of this like small Greek town that's being invaded. And it turns out that Zeus has apparently decided that humanity is no longer going to receive the protection of the gods. So uh, Nicolandros becomes the chosen warrior of Hera and goes up to the realm of the gods to take back the powers necessary to protect humanity and probably eventually defeat Zeus. I don't know. There's some drama in there. And for folks who aren't familiar with the term Metroidvania, it's essentially uh, generally a two-dimensional dungeon crawler where you progress from one area to another. It feels open world like you can discover whatever you want to, but certain areas are locked off to you until you obtain new powers or defeat certain bosses. It's a really interesting style of level design, and I think they're fun games in that they let you feel like you can take a bunch of actions, but generally are not huge games to complete. Anyway, taking on Apotheon reminded me just how much you can get done in 45 minutes. I think part of the reason that I typically play games like Overwatch or Heroes of the Storm or Tetris is because I don't have as much time to play games as I used to. And so I feel like if I sit down and play a game and I don't have three hours to dig into this, sto into this story, well, why am I playing? I'm just not going to be able to do whatever I need to do. But realistically, playing for 30 or 45 minutes on that break, I was still able to complete a decent amount of that game to find out a little bit about its story, to master some gameplay mechanics that I had a lot of fun with. And I'm glad I did it. I think in general, I'm bad at using small pieces of time wisely. If I have 15 or 20 minutes, instead of reading a chapter in a book or completing some quick task, I usually get on Facebook because I'm like, well, I don't want to just get started here and then have to go off and do something else important or get so caught up here that I don't go off and do something important. Moral of the story from today's game of the day for me is be willing to use time efficiently and also set boundaries. I knew that at six o'clock I needed to take a call, so there was no way that I was gonna play the game longer than intended. And in fact, the last 10 minutes, I just kept looking back and forth at my phone waiting for it to ring. But I think there are plenty of opportunities for us to play large games piece by piece, 45 minutes, an hour, a couple hours at a time. If we do that over the course of a week, a couple weeks, maybe a month, we might clear more games than we thought. Games that we really care about and consume some of those stories that we're really interested in. All right, folks, I've got a couple more hours worth of work to do. So I'm gonna ask a mid-evening break question. We haven't done the midday break in a while, but I'm gonna ask a mid-evening break question. This one is gonna drum up an age-old rivalry. Super Nintendo or Sega Genesis? Which one reigns supreme? No, there probably is not a definitive answer. There is a definitive answer. 
Anyway, if you have fond memories with your Super Nintendo or your Sega Genesis or you just want to declare one or the other the champion, go ahead and do so with that call-in button right here on Anchor. In a few hours, we'll come back. If we've got any call-ins, we'll add those to the queue, and then I will give you my uh, judgment on which is supreme, the Super Nintendo or the Sega Genesis. Talk to you soon.